Mitch, thank you for that, man, just that powerful testimony of God's restoring work in your lives. It's good to hear that, isn't it? I love hearing personal stories of God just coming in and just changing things up. It's, it's good for us to hear. I'm excited. I'm excited for uh, today, but I'm also excited for what's going to happen next week. Next week is December 2nd. It's our launch of Impact Sunday. Impact Sunday is, a, is not just a one-time event. It's the preparation for what God is stirring in us as we are headed into our next season of growth. Uh, it's a preparation as we are asking this second service. Uh, some of you will be joining our first service to make room for those coming into the, this service as we be continually pull out chairs at the back row. We, we have seats in the first service that, that you could sit in, and in the second service, most attenders, uh, new attenders, come to this service. It's a, it's a comfortable time frame. And so as we make room for those coming in, we are making a greater impact for our community, and uh, so that's an opportunity for us to just kind of partner together as a church as a whole and continue to reach our community. Next week, you'll see how we are um, implementing some of the things to welcome new visitors, uh, welcome people who are coming in. Just being honest, we have um, done a, a great job of just welcoming people as they come in, but recently, because of our growth, it's, we're finding that it's harder to notice people who come in for the first time, sometimes second time. Sometimes people will be here for a few weeks and not made a connection with anybody. We really want to try and, and do our best to be good stewards of what God is providing and sending us these gifts of people and families and people who a mother is praying for their child who's addicted to drugs, walks into that church. And as a church, we have a responsibility. It's our responsibility to love people as Jesus loved them, to embrace those who are outsiders, those who are searching, those who come through those church doors. It's our responsibility to take care of them and show them that God loves them and that this is a place where they belong. They belong here. It's not just something that we say. It's, it's something that's true. They belong here. And as we uh, begin to uh, figure out how to do this better as a church, um, man, you're gonna be, we're going to be seeing this next week as we are teaming up with each other and really making a, a concentrated effort as we change the culture of em- embracing uh, people into this church. Now, we do a great job. This is not no- nothing negative, but we have been in a church planting mode the last six years. We are making a shift now from outside of church planting. God has done a great job of planting this. And we're, we're, we're in this community. We're going to stay here. We're not going anywhere. Satan can try all he wants. We're not going anywhere. So now we are on a different mindset. We're, we're actively pursuing our community. Outside those church doors, there is a community that uh, is seeking a place to connect with God. That's, that's what we share together. So now we are in that missional type of uh, church to really seek, um, seek after uh, people in a new dynamic way. And you'll begin to start seeing this next Sunday. So Impact Sunday is not just a one-time event. It's really just the the initial start of things to come. And I'm excited. I'm excited because when we have church growth, we, we, see, we know that every person that comes through has a story to tell of God and God's power. And every single person we, that come in here, we're going to just be believing together in prayer that God is just going to be um, creating more stories of God showing himself to people in our community that we don't know yet, but God knows. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. 
God, I thank you for your words that challenge and convict and change. Holy Spirit, do what you do today in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to be uh, going over Joshua chapter 9, so if you want to head on over there, we are going through a series, a sermon series, through the book of Joshua. And um, as the holidays are coming up, Christmas is coming up, we're going to be taking a break through December. Um, so this is Joshua chapter 9, we'll, we'll uh, be here today, then after today we'll, we'll come back to Joshua um, after Christmas. Joshua chapter 9, just a little bit of a, a setting uh, for those of you who uh, need to be caught up. The Israelites were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They crossed over into uh, Canaan, the promised land that God had promised them. They crossed through the Jordan River. God divided the, the river, and they walked through on dry ground. There was battles that they needed to face, and we're still in this battle. They're fighting for the promises that God has already provided for them in their past. So the fruition of the promises or the blessings of God, sometimes we have to fight for. The first battle that they fought for was uh, the battle of Jericho. Uh, Jericho fell through the, the praise and the shouts of the people and the Spirit of God made the walls crumble. That's why we do worship here, because there's something powerful about tearing down walls when we just praise and worship God. Music is a spiritual thing. It taps into the heart. And so God used instruments to tear down walls to fight and win uh, the battle of Jericho. Next, we moved into the town of Ai, which was a smaller town, not as fortified as Jericho. Jer- Jericho was uh, defeated, and they were to only take the, pos- uh, the possessions of, of uh, Jericho and put it into the treasury of the Lord to help build the temple, provide for the people. There was one man who had taken it. His name was Achan, and he hid some of the gold and treasures, fr- took it from God, hid it underneath his tent. And as the people went to go battle I, they were defeated and run off, and they found that Achan had sinned against God and with all of Israel, uh, they, they had uh, taken that gold back and then uh, repented and went back and taken I. So that's where we're at. And if there's anything that we can learn about this story coming into um, our next battle is that the battle of I proved that one defeat does not lose the battle. Sometimes you're going to face something over and over and over again, as Mitch was saying. You're going to be battling something. You may have to face defeat, but you're going to get right back into that fight and battle. So the battle that I proved that one defeat does not lose. Just because you're losing a battle doesn't mean you're, you've lost. does not mean that you've, you've been defeated. You may experience defeat, but that doesn't mean you're defeated. But it also proves that one victory does not necessarily win the war. Just because there was Jericho in their past does not mean that their past success carried them through to the future battle. Sometimes we carry the past successes of victories in our life and we rely upon the strengthening of that to say that that's going to win the battle for the next fight that's ahead. But unfortunately, we are using the same tactics as one Jericho to maybe try and win something else. But God has a different tactic because Satan's coming at you with a different perspective. There's more cities to capture and thus more battles to win. Fighting with the enemy. If you're in here today, can I just tell you you're in a spiritual battle? Whether you know anything about God or not, if you've come in here and you're just like, I don't even know what this whole God thing is, you're in a spiritual battle right now. Probably more so than anybody else. 
You may not recognize it, but every time that we meet together, there's a spiritual war happening. There's a spiritual strengthening when we come to, together. There's a, a, an empowerment that happens. There's a faith that's being boosted. Any time that that happens, guess who takes notice? It's not just the angels in heaven, but the angels of darkness. You become a greater threat when we come together. You become a greater threat when your faith is being more assured upon the foundation of God. And the the, the enemy wants to put cracks in the foundation that we put our feet upon. And if we ever get our eyes off of the foundation that's the word of God in Jesus, then those cracks will begin to happen where we have planted our feet. And we have to be on guard. So today's sermon is be on guard. An appropriate title for believers. The devil's not thrilled about You having spiritual victory. Satan's not happy when God's plans come to fulfillment. So in essence, when you're following God, you're ticking off the devil. And some of us get nervous about it, and some of us get excited about it. Some of us say, bring it on, because we know where the power of God comes from through his Holy Spirit in us. And when the Holy Spirit is in us, we don't have to fear the enemy. Satan's not happy with you. I'm just going to tell you. You can't please everybody. You don't want to please Satan, and you're not. You're here today, and he's upset about it. It's true for the Israelites. Satan wasn't happy about them, and it's true for us today. We must be aware. Today is an awareness, an awakening, a spiritual assessment. It's something that we need to take our blinders off, some of us. And I'm just going to say us as a Christian church, not necessarily as New Life Northview, but as the church globally, the church that identifies with Christ. There are blinders that have been put upon the church because of human understanding and wisdom that has infiltrated the church in its ranks. The ranking be the believers, you and I. And this message is a clear warning. And it's not from my words, but this is from God who shows us to be careful and to be diligent, to be aware that Satan is real. And there are real attacks, there are real schemes, there are real tricks, and it's all to get you. We must be aware of Satan's strategy and recognize that he seeks to lead us astray with deceptive actions. The devil loves to deceive believers. The devil loves to deceive believers. How many times do we say to the outside world, they're deceived, they're lost? And we're only thinking in terms of those who don't know God as being deceived. When in reality, there are many people who have professed to love Christ, but have been deceived. And there are people who are deceived inside the church walls. A scary thought. Because Satan is out to deceive you and I. Do not miss this because it's important for us to stay diligent and be aware of Satan's attacks on your life. And number one, trying to deceive us, those who love God. Be on guard. The enemy is out to deceive you. Joshua chapter 9. Starting with verse 1. 
Now all the kings west of the Jordan River, this is where the promised land is, heard about what happened. This is Jericho and the town of Ai. These were the kings of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Prezites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites who lived in the hill country in the western foothills along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea as far north as Lebanon Mountains. So this region of all these battles that, Jer- or that uh, the Israelites were going to face, they're all sitting in this area where they, where they were headed into that land. The kings combined their army, armies to fight as one against Joshua and the Israelites. They say, hey, listen, Joshua and the Israelites, they're causing trouble in the land that we have already possessed. And they're trying to kick us out. And they're trying to establish their God into this place where we don't want. Let's team up. I know we've been fighting before. We've been distanced. We're not really friends. But we need to come together because there's a threat down in that valley that's coming our way. And we can't defeat them by ourselves. I'll tell you, you're a threat. Notice it says Joshua as one. And it says the Israelites together. You as a person is a threat. And us as a church is a threat to the enemy. A healthy dose for us to take the responsibility and awareness saying that you're a threat to the enemy's attacks. And the footholds, the footholds that Satan has in this community, in this world, is exactly where we are headed to push back dark areas in people's lives. I got sidetracked. But when the people of Gibeon, okay, here we go. There's a shift, right? We just heard about all these kings. They come together for an alliance to attack Israel. They don't like what's happening. But when the people of Gibeon, they're different, heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they resorted to deception to save themselves. They're like, well, there's no way. We know what the power of God can do. We're not going to be able to battle and fight our way in there. They're going to destroy us. Can I tell you something? The enemy is afraid of you. He's afraid of the power of God inside of you. He's afraid of the power of his word. And when you speak his word, there's power. When you speak the name of Jesus, Satan runs. And he cannot stand in the presence of God on his feet. He cowers in fear. They resorted to deception to save themselves. They sent ambassadors, spokespersons, demons to come check you out. Come speak lies to you. Ambassadors to Joshua, loading their donkeys with weathered saddlebags, old patched wineskins. They put on worn out patched sandals and ragged clothes. They took bread, and the bread they took with them was dry and moldy. And when they arrived at the camp of Israel at Gilgal, they told Joshua and the men of Israel, we've come from a distant land to ask you to make a peace treaty with us, which was a lie. They were nearby. They were living in the land that they were not supposed to be living in. And God was driving out the enemy so that that the Israelites could live in the full blessings and promises of God. And here's an enemy where he wasn't supposed to be. Right smack dab where the promises of God was laying. And here's the enemy that says, I know I can't get or attack the Israelites. They're too strong. I can't attack those Christians. We're going to lie. We're going to bring up, we're going to tatter our clothes. We're going to put dirt on our faces. We're going to look exhausted. Where's the skinniest guys of your bunch? Let's send those guys out. We're starving. These wine, wine skins, 
hey, let's get the old ones. They had everything that they needed, but they presented themselves in a different way to make them look like distant travelers. We'll keep reading. The Israelites replied to these Hivites, how do we know that you don't live nearby? It was very, very important because God had carefully instructed them not to make an alliance with the enemy. You can't make an alliance with the enemy while pursuing God's blessings in your life. For if you do, we cannot make a treaty with you, a pact, an agreement with you. They replied, we're your servants. But who are you, Joshua demand? Where do you come from? They answered, your servants, appealing to their ear, appealing to their desire, appealing to somebody who's coming to you and saying, hey, look, I'm here for you. I'm on your side. I'll do whatever to do what I can to help you out. I want to fight with you. I want to fight for you. But in reality, they're just lies. The enemy loves to deceive Make something look e- something that is evil look good. But Joshua, he was pretty smart. He, he demanded, where do you come from? They, re- they answered, your servants have come from a very distant country. We have heard of the might of the Lord your God and all that he did in Egypt. And they weren't lying there. Everything else was a lie except they heard about what God was doing. They were sharing a praise report. The enemy was masking itself as a friend who was sharing a praise report about God, but it had evil intentions inside. We should take warning to this. Be careful about what you listen to. Just because someone sounds like a Christian, just because someone says the right things, just because someone praises God does not mean that they are godly. We've also heard what he did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, King Sion of Heshbon and King Og of Bashan, who lived in the Asherah. So our elders and all, all our people instructed us, take supplies for a long journey. Incorrect. It's a lie. They're lying directly to their face. Go meet with the people of Israel and tell them, we are your servants. Please make a treaty with us. That's what they wanted. They wanted to make an agreement with the enemy. This bread was hot from the ovens when we left our homes. A lie. But now, as you can see, it's all dry and moldy. It's not any good because we've traveled so far just to meet you. The wineskins, well, they were new when we filled them. But now, as you can see, they're old and split open. We don't, we don't have anything. And our clothing and sandals, oh, they're worn out from this very, very long journey. We're just tired. We're just begging you. We have nothing. So the Israelites, they did something smart. They examined their food. They looked it over. They saw the mold. They saw everything that they were saying was true. In their eyes, it was exactly True, they were not telling a lie. The bread was moldy. Their clothes were tattered. They were, they did look tired. The Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult the Lord. They were using what they saw. They were using what they could see to make a judgment call. The enemy had fooled them. 
by presenting something that looked like truth, but on the inside of the heart of them, it was a complete facade hiding a lie. The enemy was ready to come in and create havoc among the Israelites, and this was not what God had intended for the Israelites to do. He wanted to protect the blessings and the promises that he had for them and not make an agreement with the enemy. They did not consult the Lord. Then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety. And the leaders of the community, all of the Israelites ratified. How many of you here would like to just welcome these guys into our group? Say I. And they all said I. Their agreement with a binding oath. Three days is all it took. After making the treaty, they learned that these people actually lived nearby, or in essence, in the land that they were to inhabit. Now they're stuck with a huge problem on their hands. They realized they had just done something that God told them not to do. They had disobeyed when they thought they were doing something good. Here's the story. Achan did something blatantly against God. He stole from God. He knew what God was speaking to him. And he said, I don't care what God said. I'm going to take for myself. It was a blatant disregard to God and his words. He knew he was doing wrong when he did it. The shift is this, is that when the Israelite people welcomed the enemy, they thought they were doing what was right. They thought they were doing a good thing. And because it felt right, it felt good, and you're making peace, and you're helping someone who was in need of help, a helpless person. The enemy is not helpless, by the way. Because they had done something that they thought was right by helping a helpless enemy, they had sinned against God. The devil is deceptive. The devil is deceptive and will use anything to convince God's people to compromise. Do not blind yourselves. There are tricks, there are snares, schemes from the devil to get you to compromise. Satan uses very subtle ways to draw us from the things of God. Yes, even the things that feel good. He's cunning enough to not just put something in your way that feels wrong. To get you distracted, to get you sidetracked, to get you away from what God And his word and his truth is speaking to you. Little by little, there are ways that Satan will come in and begin to cause you to doubt, just like Eve. When Satan comes in, did God really say? You will not always be tempted to compromise with a blatant denial and rejection of God like Achan. You will not always be lured to compromise the truth of God's word through deliberate disobedience. Sometimes you will be compromising your faith through something you feel as though you are in line with God in being obedience. He will entice us to compromise in small ways that seem good, but in, rea- re- in reality, they are not. 
There's two words that really describe the area of caution for all of us. In a culture that we live in, especially now, the church now, there is something that the enemy loves to come in and blur the lines. Two words that I think that if we can grab a hold of today and just use this as a forefront for protection and guarding our faith with God and understanding with our mind and making sure that we are lined up with God in His truths, that we are utilizing a perspective that can help protect our heart. It's these two words. It's misguided compassion. Misguided Compassion. Compassion is a wonderful thing, but in its, when it's misdirected, it's destructive and hurtful. Even though misguided compassion can have the same feeling of authenticity as love, as God's compassion. It is a trick, it is a scheme to derail you from the truths that God has planted in His Word. Compassion in itself, is a wonderful, beautiful, God-honoring thing. It's healthy for us to have compassion. Compassion is what comforts others. Compassion is what soothes hurting souls. Compassion, it motivates us to be people of action and not just emotion. Compassion is what drives us to love others actively. Compassion cannot be selfish, even misguided compassion. The best definition of compassion is that this. It's empathy plus the desire to help. You don't just feel the emotions for another person or of the other person. You desire to help them because of those emotions that's stirring deep inside. The Israelites were stirred with emotion to have compassion, but it was misguided and it hurt them. They disobeyed and directly went against God's word and what he was telling them to do, even though they thought and felt like it was a good thing. Compassion, when when it's misdirected, is destructive. How? A person can have compassion for a criminal, but it would be unwise to have compassion for the crime that was committed. Someone can forgive the immoral person, but it would be foolish to forgive the immoral act itself or evil itself. We never want to compromise and ignore or excuse evil behavior. We can excuse, we can forgive the person, but we never want to welcome a sin. Corey Ten Boom, I had uh, referenced her, I think it was last week, and I love. Um, I love history, especially when it comes to World War II. It's just a fascinating time um, in our uh, story, I guess, that we get to share about our fathers and grandfathers they went through. But Corrie ten Boom, uh, she was in the concentration camp of Ravensbrück, and 
She was faced with her Nazi guard in 1947 after the war, and she was speaking at a small little church setting in a, in a home. It was in a basement, and she was talking actually about forgiveness. And as she was talking to these 20 or 30 people in this room, she had not noticed that this German man that was sitting there in the room with her was one of her guards until he walked up and approached and introduced himself and said, Hi, Corey. I want to to say thank you for this message on forgiveness, but I was at the concentration camp uh, and I was a guard while you were there. Will you forgive me? Compassion is what Corey Timboom expressed through her forgiveness of this Nazi guard. And that was healthy and that was accurate and correct. It would be misguided compassion to ignore the evil acts that happened in the Nazi concentration camp. Are we getting the clear picture? We have to make sure that we are not having misguided affection for the things of this world that even sometimes are viewed as good. And as we think of the Nazi concentration camp, we see them as horrible, but some people thought they were good. The Gibeonites, they came to make an alliance with Israel. They compromised and became deceived because the Gibeonites wore masks to cover up the reality of what they were hiding inside. The rags, they foolishly bought into what they saw. The bread, they examined it, they looked at it, they foolishly accepted that as truth. The patches, they saw that and said, yep, this is a real thing, this is real. They could see it, they could touch it, They could smell it. They could talk to it, but it was all a lie. And it was enough that they would welcome the enemy into their camp while everybody else was forming this huge army to battle against the Israelites to to come in against their barriers and infiltrate in. The Gibeonites, all they had to do was shake hands and have a smile and a story that they would buy and infiltrated the heart of the Israelites because of misguided compassion and they did not seek the counsel of the Lord. How many things in this world are deceptively masked as good things? How many things do we see? How many things can we touch? How many things that are presented to us on a daily basis as good, but in fact are birthed from an idea or an incentive from the enemy to sidetrack us and to derail us from the truth of God's standards? Christians, there are standards for us to live by. It's not your standard, it's God's standards. It's not based upon how I feel is a right way to live. The way that we live, when we say, God, I surrender to you, we surrender our feelings of feeling right about what God says. Right? We can no longer make the judgment calls based upon, I feel like this is a right answer. I feel like that's the wrong answer. We surrender that over to God and we say, God, I trust your word. 
I'm not going to be foolish about my life and let my heart just follow anything that comes into my, my world. I've got to protect it. I've got to guard it. And I can't do it through my own wisdom, my own understanding, or through, the, through my own emotions. God, I need you to direct me. Sometimes our emotions get into the way of God's standards. Be on guard. How many things in this world deceptively come to penetrate your heart as something that feels right? Be on guard. The things that we should be guarded against, but in actuality, there are some who have come to be their defense. What are we protecting? All because of misguided compassion which feels the same as authentic compassion. Proverbs says there's a way that appears to be right. Looks right. Seems right. But then in the end, it leads to death. Do not compromise your faith in God through things that seem right. It's not right. It's not okay with God. There are things that we have to be guarded against. And how many times and how many temptations are out there knocking on the door of your heart to hinder the relationship with God because it feels right. But just because the feeling is genuine or authentic doesn't mean it's appropriate. Watch out. Not everything that is said to be good is good. Not everything that is said to be from God is from God. And just because someone in the church says the Lord told me does not mean that that's the gospel truth. There's warnings about this. We have to make sure that we are listening to the right voice. There's only one voice that we listen to. It's the Word of God. If there's only one voice that we should listen to, then we better pay close attention to His words. So the Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult the Lord. The definition of consult is this, to seek information or advice from. Where are we getting our information from? Right? Are we getting our information from the source? Where is the source? I think we could all say it's God's word. But are we seeking his counsel? Are we consulting God? And some of us, rightfully so, say, I don't even know what that looks like. What does it mean? Yeah, I've got God's word, but how, does that, how do I consult God with that? Listen, I am so thankful God didn't just say something and then leave it to our memory to figure out or try and remember what he said. He wrote it down in history for us to go back and read it over and over again and be able to understand who God is in his character and his nature. If you're curious about what God is speaking to you and how to consult him, can I just tell you, don't make it too complicated. Stop making it too hard and just simply understand God's word. Right? I know that sounds 
difficult. But when we begin to read stories like in Joshua, we can read the battles. And when we begin to read the battles through Joshua, we begin to see God's provision. We begin to see where they lost their battles because of sin in their lives. We begin to see that God reinstates them. We see grace and forgiveness. We begin to see the destructiveness of sin and that the penalty of sin is death. Right? And then we begin to see how Jesus or Joshua is a representation of God's grace and forgiveness as he is leading the Israelites into the promised land. We begin to see how the New Testament and the Old Testament begin to work together. And it's not through some obscure website that we begin to find this. It's just through God's word and understanding the truth of his character and his love for you and I. Just simply get into his word and understand the stories of God and let the stories begin to speak those truths. And a supernatural thing begins to happen into us. It's a supernatural God that begins to speak to you the truths that are those those hidden things that you couldn't see before, the Holy Spirit begins to come inside and do something and give you a wisdom and an understanding that you can't have on your own and begins to, you begin to see things with a new perspective. You begin to see God's goodness. And then in Joshua, where other people say, man, that's a destructive book. And you say, man, that's a, that's a, a, a book full of promises. It's because God begins to speak to you, in you, and through you. But we've got to consult the source. And when you begin to consult, you begin to read the stories. You begin to understand God's nature and character. And you begin to understand who God is. There begins to have a line in your life. And any person who is following and seeking after God, you begin to see that, that line being drawn in the sand more and more. And it, where it started out to be a finger in the sand becomes a dog in heel in the sand you're like i know where i stand and god will begin to position you on one side of that line and you may not at first like where that position is but you submit to god say i'm going to stand where you plant me here's the other thing that god's going to plant you in a place where your friends are not going to like it your family is going to reject you because of where god is planting you the question is are you going to surrender your feelings over to God and say, I don't know if this is worth it because I'm getting too much flack. I don't know if it's worth it because my family just won't talk to me anymore. It just seems like it's too hard of a truth for me to, to uh, stand upon. Or are you going to stand where God puts you and say, this is what it is. And I love you and I love God and I can't move from here. Because anything else across in that line is just a lie. And life's too short to live a lie. So church, as we begin to dive into God more and more, as we begin to hear the stories of God, uh, stories of God ruining people's previous life and giving them a new life, the dividing sand, the dividing line strengthens us and holds us into an arena of truth that is going to tick off the prince of darkness or the prince of this world. Now we're not trying to we're not trying to go out there and actively make people upset or angry. That's not our goal. But it's the sword of the spirit that will divide. And it's uncomfortable, it's sharp, and it's painful at times. The church was never designed to be persuaded by culture. But in reality, the church 
is designed to persuade our community. Jesus, he came to, not to encounter culture. He didn't come to just say, I want to know what this is like. He came to be counterculture. And so if we are following something that is counterculture, and if we do that authentically, naturally, and spiritually, it's just going to go against culture. Some of the truths. Jesus was hated, he was persecuted, and he died because he was counterculture. Now here's where it comes back. He died because of his compassion towards sinners. Not for his compassion towards sin. Jesus knew how to draw the line and said, this is what the kingdom of God is. And if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, this is the dividing line. If you love me, you'll also love my words. He said, the the opportunity is yours. You can stay on whatever line you want, but I'm just making this available. I'm making it clear that there are miracles on this side of the line, and God's going to do something for you. He's going to do something in you, and through you, it's going to be greater than you've ever experienced. But because they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you as well. Are you ready for it? Our job is not to try and fit in to our culture, but our job is to love the people in our communities with the compassion of Jesus that moves and motivates us. It's through a compassion that is directed by God, not by how we feel, but by the heart of of God, and He places what we call that burden upon us that we can't help but love them in, in, a, in a different way because it's the Spirit of God that has placed Himself inside of you and I that says, My heart just breaks. We begin to understand how much God has forgiven us and loved us and shown himself to us and given us his mercy and grace. Every single morning we see that sunrise, we think, oh God, I do not deserve the love that you have placed upon me. And every morning we wake up with that perspective. And so when there's something that somebody does that initially would have, or previously in your life, you would have harbored hard feelings towards and anger and resentment. God releases that from you because He reminds you of how much you've been forgiven of. And He says, I want you to forgive that person as I've forgiven you. A challenging, convicting motivation for us by the Spirit to be compelled to love. To be compelled to be filled with His passion for others. Compelled with God's passion. That's what we are. It's the Spirit of God. The three mistakes that they made, they had misguided compassion. They loved the things that were not of God. They didn't consult God whether or not that, that was appropriate for them to embrace that into their church. It was only after that they realized that they had made a mistake We need to be on guard because how difficult is it to reject something after you've embraced it? 
guard yourself and pray for our church as we are on guard to protect what God has laid out for us in His Word. It will always be Jesus first in this church. Him and only Him. It will always be that we're sinners and it will always be by, because of His grace. It will always be that we are undeserved but we get to receive the blessings of God. We will not be fooled by the enemy masking itself and parading itself as friendly compromises into this church. And we will not be fooled by welcoming something that will confuse us and blur the view of who God is, His character, His nature, and His holiness. We will not be fooled by Satan and his cunning and smart and crafty uh, illusions of distractions. We will know that Satan can perform miracles and present himself as an angel of light, angel of light. And we'll also be wary that if he can mask himself as compassion that is misguided, he can get us to compromise. Today, we are going to consult God, as always, and ask him to reveal into our hearts the things that we need to protect and to guard. So above all things, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. Let's stand together. We need help in this area because we're talking about raw emotions that feel good. Protect our heart, O oh God. Guard us to make wise decisions in our daily lives that are based upon your heart. Help us to align ourselves with the things that you love, things that are honorable and praiseworthy of good report. Let's pray together. This is a challenge for us as our eyes are closed, heads are bowed. It's a challenge for every single one of us to just be on guard, believers, because Satan is out to deceive you. God, grant us wisdom that is out of this world, that is from you and you alone. You have given us the power of your Holy Spirit to see things that we cannot see with our natural eyes. You have given us the power of your Holy Spirit to teach us things that we cannot understand by ourselves. We ask for the anointing in the name of Jesus to fall from heaven over into our hearts. Protect us, God. Help us to forgive. Help us to have compassion on the things and the people that we need to have compassion for. Guard us from the things that want to infiltrate our hearts and our minds, the things that seem good, the things that seem right. God, protect us from that. We need you. We need your strengthening in us. Grant us your spiritual insight, your spiritual wisdom. We need you. Go before us this week, this month, the rest of our lives, God. Protect us. In Jesus' name, we submit to you in your word, and we honor you with our decisions. In Jesus' name, we said together.
Amen. Amen. Be strengthened. Be encouraged. God is with you. You are dismissed.